Alright, so here we are. Here we are. The first Sunday of a lot of things, right? So the first Sunday of a new school year here on this campus. The first Sunday, as we've already said, as we've already celebrated for, of the church in Karenport. Some of you are brand new here. Anybody brand new here, students, that you're like, I have no idea what's going on? Okay, there's a few of you. That's, that's what I thought. So maybe you're sitting there going, there's some guy, another one, up there at the front, talking in a microphone, telling me stuff. And I'm like, now I have to remember who that guy is, too. I remember I was there once, too. Others of you might have some idea who I am, but uh, to use a word or a phrase that's already been used, uh, I'm kind of just a familiar stranger. And others, uh, you know who I am pretty well. So we've got quite a number of different groups. But at any rate, for better or for worse, I'm, I'm the guy that the Lord has called to shepherd this new congregation as it's coming together. So a few things you might want to know about me. My name is Josh Knowles. I've uh, been around this campus for quite a long time. I've been married to my wife, Dashelle, for 13 years now. And uh, we're expecting our first child, sort of. Uh, We're in the midst of an adoption process. Uh, We're expecting our first child uh, from Haiti via international adoption at some undefined point in the future. I was the lead pastor of Karenport Community Church for one year prior to our church unification and on staff there for two years before that in a part-time role. I graduated in 2013 from Briarcrest Seminary just over there with my Master of Arts in Theological Studies. Outside of my role at the church, you might see me active in visual arts, especially with our performing arts, our musical theater uh, events that happen here on campus. You might see me around in some of those, some of the... Yeah, rejoicing down here in the front. Thanks, guys. Uh, but how did I end up here, right? That, that's a question if you're new here. You've probably been answering that as you meet people. Where are you from? How did you end up here? Especially if you're from far away. It's, it's a question we ask, and it's a story we tell, because it provides some kind of an anchor and an identity that we can use to relate to one another as we meet new people. Now, for me, it's, it's actually nothing terribly exciting. Uh, I didn't grow up even far away from here. I grew up only about an hour's drive away from here in rural Saskatchewan. I attended an Alliance Church for most of my growing up years, and so I was planning on actually going to Canadian Bible College in Regina, which at that time was in the midst of a transition out of Regina, moving to Calgary, and eventually became Ambrose. Uh, So... As they were moving and the transition was happening, I decided, why don't I just come here? This is more stable. My plan was to come for a year, and and I'm still here. Um, So I arrived in in 2003 straight out out of high school and never really left. You probably have some kind of a story like this, though. Whether you've been here for a few days or a few years, one way or another circumstances being what they were, the Lord's leading being what it was, the advice of family and friends, however it all worked together, you ended up on this campus. Maybe a few days ago, maybe a few decades ago. We've got people of all ages and stages in life. Right? Some of you, if you're new here, maybe you're here because you got a spot on a sports team. Maybe you heard that Greek immersion sounded cool and you want... Yeah. Um, hopefully, at, at some level you had the idea that this place would be a place where you would be able to grow in your knowledge of the Lord and in your walk with Him. But you likely came here with some kind of a plan. 
You at least knew what your final destination was. I doubt any of you just packed a couple suitcases, went to the nearest bus depot and said, all right, I'm on a bus. Lord, where am I going? And he spoke to you audibly and told you to come to Karenport. But that's not all that unlike what happened to Abraham. So we're going to be spending our our fall season here looking at the story of Abraham from the book of Genesis. It's a story of new beginnings. It's a story of a journey that took many winding twists and turns, and it's suitable for where we as a congregation find ourselves now. So if you want to turn, our, our sermon text today is officially Genesis 12, 1 to 3, but we'll back up just a few verses in Genesis chapter 11 to get a little bit of context. As we typically do, my, my practice has always been invite everyone to stand for the reading of, of our sermon passage. I'd invite you to do that as you're able. We'll start at Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, and read to 12, verse 3. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's word. You can have a seat. Now Genesis means, fittingly enough, uh, beginning. That's certainly an accurate and probably obvious description of what the book of Genesis is about. It tells about the beginning of the world in general, and it tells the beginning of the nation of Israel in particular. But it's a book actually of multiple beginnings, really, because God makes the world, he puts Adam and Eve in paradise, they sin, humanity falls, they're kicked out of the garden, they start a new beginning there, that goes downhill, eventually God wipes things out with a flood, and they start over with Noah and his family, and that goes downhill, until we end up in the Tower of Babel, and then God starts over another time with Abram. It's a bit difficult to know exactly where Genesis 12, 1 to 3 fits into the timeline established by the end of chapter 11. On the one hand, the most straightforward reading is just to see this call of God happening uh, while Abram and his family are there in Haran. That's uh, modern-day Turkey, Syria, so kind of up in that part of the world. If you continue reading in Genesis 12, that makes a certain amount of sense. The next 
passage says they left Haran and began going. However, a number of scholars would see the call of Abram in, in 12, 1 to 3 happening actually before that, while he was still living in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so they would translate 12, 1 as the Lord had said to Abram. In other words, there was the initial call, Abram and his family began following, but they kind of got stuck partway through and, and then eventually got with the program again. What is clear is that alongside this command of God, and it's remarkably actually if you look at it, this is the first time the Lord has spoken to human beings in quite some time, in many generations, in fact. Uh, It's been silent, and finally, after centuries likely of silence, the Lord breaks through and, and starts a new beginning, calling somebody. Now, it seems, though, that alongside this miraculous call of God, there were other circumstances at play. Historians and archaeologists and anthropologists would say that what was going on with Abram was probably part of a larger people migration that was happening in the ancient Near Eastern world at that time. Furthermore, there were some significant deaths in Abram's family in that passage we read in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, First of all, Abram's brother died. And that seemed to be at least involved in some way in their departing from Ur of the Chaldeans and moving to a place called Haran. Likely, it seems, they probably called it after the name of Abram's deceased brother. And while there, Abram's father, Terah, passed away. And that was at least a part of them going off on the next stage of their journey. In researching some of my own family history, it's actually been really interesting to to see that this sort of thing happens all the time. Uh, And it probably happened in some of your family histories as well. My ancestors left Europe long enough ago that most of the details of their journeys over to North America are kind of lost in in the... in the sands of time, so to speak. Not that it was that long ago, but records are sketchy. However, what I, what I do know is that my great-great-great-grandfather, Hugh Knowles, left County Antrim, Northern Ireland, in about 1850. And it seems that he left following the tragic death of his wife, likely in childbirth. And he arrived in Canada with their infant daughter, who had apparently survived. Her name was Janetta. And he settled in, in Lanark County, Ontario, where he already had some family. Like many people throughout history, Abram does something similar. He leaves one place behind, and eventually he gets to a new place. Unlike many people, though, it was a call of God. God actually spoke to him and told him, this is what you're going to do, Abraham. And so there he is. It may be that this call happened while he was still in Ur. It may be that it happened when he was in Haran. In any case, though, we have no reason to believe that Abram was anybody special or that he was anything other than typical for his culture and his place and his time. In fact, in what might seem like a throwaway line in Joshua chapter 24, we read, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Abram was there in his culture, in his place, in his time, doing the things that all the people in that culture and place and time did. And it's, it's worth noting, I'm sure you know this, but it's worth noting that these places that we're talking about, Haran and Ur of the Chaldeans, they have weird names, but these aren't 
these aren't places in Middle Earth or somewhere that's a fictional place that doesn't actually exist. These are real places that have been found by archaeologists that actually existed in history. Back in the 1920s, in kind of this golden Indiana Jones-like age of archaeology, Sir Leonard Woolley excavated the site of Ur. It's in what we would call modern-day Iraq now. And of particular note was the ziggurat. It's a stepped pyramid that was dedicated to worshipping the moon god. Although, like most ancient civilizations, they worshipped a whole pantheon of deities. In other words, I'm saying this to say that God reached down and spoke to Abram and called him out of the midst of all that before he was with the program, while he was an idol-worshipping pagan, just like anyone else. However, the Lord's call to him was to leave all of that behind and begin something new. The first thing he was to leave behind was his country. Of course, that includes the land, but also the socio-economic, religious culture. This was a huge ask. In our very mobile society, we don't, we don't think a whole lot of moving t- from one place to another. A lot of you probably came here from somewhere far away from this part of the world. But with Abram, it's much more than that. He's not just moving away. He's abandoning and forsaking his roots and everything he's known. He's turning his back on that and making a break with everything that grounded his reality and his identity and his knowledge of who he was. Leave behind your family, the call says, or your kindred in the translation I read. That probably amounts to what we would call extended family. Perhaps not super important to us in our culture, but in most places and times, a major part of knowing who you were and where you belonged in society. Most of you probably have similar stories to what I shared about my own family and and their journey. People often prompted by hardship or scarcity or death in the old country left, came over to this part of the world, and usually they tried to find some little corner of Canada or the United States where they already had extended family or at least other people that that they knew of their same culture, religion, nationality. That's why you end up with all these little communities across the prairies where there's, you know, German people settled here and Ukrainian people settled here and Mennonites settled there and French-speaking people settled here. People came to where there were other people like them, often who were at least somewhat distantly related. But Abram's call is not to do that. It's to leave all of that behind and to go somewhere totally new, totally unknown, where nothing is going to be familiar. Likely because that continuing pagan influence would have turned him away from following God. And so he's called to go forth on his own and he has to trust God with everything, to provide for everything that he needs. The last thing Abram's called to leave behind is his father's house. Roughly would be equivalent to what we would call immediate family, though not so narrowly defined as as nuclear family. But even, or especially after his initial move, that, that small group of his father's house would provide the last little shred of identity and connection to what he knew before. And, and he's slow to leave that behind. He does pretty well with the other things, but this has to happen in stages. He gets to Haran, kind of has to wait for his father to die before he goes on the next stage of his journey. Uh, he takes his nephew Lot with him for a while, and God has to do some work to kind of get them to part ways. Um, really, the story of Abram's walk 
with God. It's all worked out in the context of that close-knit father's house kinship group, right? Parting ways with Lot, lying about Sarah's identity, fathering a child with Hagar, and finally, finally trusting God with the fate of the son of promise, Isaac. So leave all that behind and go to a land. But I'm not going to tell you what land you're supposed to go to. That's not a small ask. That's a big ask. Don't just leave all this stuff behind. Don't leave just your family and all of that behind. You have to go, but I'm not going to tell you where. Just start going and I'll let you know once you've arrived. I'm trying to imagine how you actually set off on a journey of that sort. Like, what did he do? Did he just get a stick and like throw it up in the air and watch where it landed and be like, it's pointing that way, I guess let's go. <laughs> or did he just start kind of letting the animals wander and eventually, you know, the cattle and oh, I guess we'll just kind of follow the flocks and herds and wherever they go, we'll follow. I don't know what happened. I, I would kind of like to know how you set off on a journey when you have no idea where you're going. But that's what Abram did, one way or another, trusting that the Lord would let him know when he was in the right place. While the Lord's call did require sacrifice, it also had great promises attached to it. Now, scholars debate precisely how many promises there are, right? It's, it's kind of a... Now, sometimes scholars play these little games where if we can make them seven, or if we can make them three, those are special numbers in Scripture. In Hebrew, there are five I will statements and a couple of other sub or side points, so I guess it's kind of seven, sort of. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in or through you. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail in all of these because you know what? The rest of the story of Abram is actually seeing these blessings begin to work out. Now, within Abram's life, they only begin to work out. He only sees the first glimmer of the fulfillment of some of these promises. But that's what we're going to be looking primarily at as we go along throughout this story. I think it's fairly common when we come to a passage like this, in the the Old Testament especially, and we're like, this is 2,000 years BC, that's 4,000 years ago at least, and what are we going to do with this? We're not nomads following our flocks and herds over in the ancient Near East somewhere. How How does this apply to me? And I think another important question that we need to ask, not just how this applies to me personally as an individual, but also how does this apply to us as as God's people here in this specific place? I think that's what we need to do in this season. And I don't think it's actually going to be that hard to figure out how it does that. Back in May and June, and this is, some of you know this already, some of you are new here and going, what's all this about a church merger or unification? Back in May and June, the the leadership, the boards of our our two different congregations met regarding the future uh, of the two congregations which have now come together. And to my knowledge, I I was there for most of it, I, I don't know that we heard any audible voices from the Lord that you know, I don't know, does that sound like James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman? Or I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to sound like, but we didn't hear anything of that sort. There weren't any blinding flashes of light or any of those sorts of things. But what we did have 
was a clear call for what we were supposed to do. We did have some words and what you might call images or, or visions that could properly be said to be prophetic in some ways. And, and the initial call was to come together as one congregation. And the subsequent message was that we should do so by fall. Just make sure that, uh, yeah, take that, I guess, aside before it tips over maybe. In the midst of all this, uh, just like for Abram, there was also circumstantial leading. Both of our congregations had significant staffing needs. We recognized that there was wisdom regarding good financial stewardship. We recognized that there were gifts, skills, and abilities that one group had that the other group lacked, and vice versa. Those could be, those could be considered just pragmatic details, of course. But if we serve a God who is sovereign and who leads in all ways and in all things, that's part of it as well. That's also part of our hearing His voice and following His leading. Now, thankfully, the call of God in the case of our congregations didn't involve a call to reject or forsake everything about what we had known up until now. I I really believe that as we move forward, we're going to see a lot of continuity to what both groups have known up until this point. There there will be some continuing of, you know, letting go, open-handedness towards the way things are going to be from now on as we walk forward into this new reality. Things that worked for one congregation may not always work for the other. Things that worked for both congregations might not continue to work once we're all together. What we need to do is stay focused on God's call to come together and work that out more than we focus on anything else. That's the story we see with Abram. Whenever he focused on God's call to go and just follow the Lord's leading, he did well. Whenever he got sidetracked onto different things that weren't what God was calling him to do, he did poorly. He, he got off track. Things didn't go well for him. Like Abram, we didn't receive a a specific, detailed, point-by-point, 40-page report from on high for how you go forward into this new journey that we're taking together. We received a call to begin the journey of becoming one congregation. As we're going to see in the story of Abram, he got to the land quite early on in his journey. He journeys for a while, he arrives in the land, and then there's still a lot of following the Lord, twists and turns, living faithfully to the Lord, and beginning to see the promises fulfilled. I think we can see how that probably applies to us. We've, we've come together now, and we're celebrating that today. So in a sense, the initial call has been fulfilled. However, there's still a lot of walking faithfully with the Lord that will have to happen over these next weeks, months, and into the years ahead. Abram spent the rest of his life learning obedience to the call that God had placed on his life. Our church is going to have to do the same. We've received the call. We've done that on an initial level now. There's still a lot of living into that that needs to keep happening. I'm not going to pretend that helping two congregations to come together into one is just a perfectly straightforward, simple process. Over the last few weeks, I've been, I've been working on a little side project to maintain my sanity at home. I've been refinishing a dresser. That's a very step-by-step process. 
Uh, you, you start with coarse grit sandpaper, then you move to fine grit sandpaper, then you clean it off, then you put a coat of enamel on, then you put another coat after you've sanded it, and another coat, then you start with the stain on the top, and it, it's just one step at a time, a little bit here, a little bit there, the coats build up, and eventually it looks nice, and you've got a new piece of furniture. It's very linear, it's very step-by-step. Abram's journey is going to be helpful to us here, though, because it wasn't just a a step-by-step process. He took detours. He got some things wrong. He wandered off into the weeds, so to speak, and, and had to come back. Some of Abram's mistakes were pretty bad. But the thing is, all the while, he kept walking with God. So when he did get off track into the weeds, he figured it out, and he came back to where God was calling him, and he kept walking in obedience to God. And on the whole, as he did that, he learned. He learned what God was calling him to do. He learned through the high points of his success and the low points of his doubt. And ultimately, he came to a place where finally, at the end of his story in Genesis 22, when he was tested by the Lord regarding his son Isaac, he trusted God sufficiently that he passed that ultimate test. He wouldn't have passed that test earlier on, I'm sure. It took all of those detours and side journeys, his learning and growing in his faith and his walk with God, until he was able finally to pass that ultimate test and prove faithful. There's a certain kind of church leader who who likes to portray themselves as, I got all the answers. Here's the plan. Let's do it. Follow me. There can be something appealing about that, and there are days I can I admit when it's it'd be kind of nice just to have all the answers and be like, here's what we're doing, here's where we're going, follow me. But the truth is that myself, Heather, and the the rest of our church staff and our church board, we're in unknown territory just like Abram was. We're figuring this out, we're, we're trusting that the Lord is leading us, but we don't have exactly a big roadmap of everything, everywhere we're going. But I believe that together, our, our leadership, our staff, our congregation as a whole, that we're seeing where the Lord wants us to go, that we're seeing what He wants to do. Again, we might not hear audible voices the way that Abram did, but nevertheless, we know where Abram's story ended up, don't we? We know because it's written in the Scriptures about God's covenant with Abram. God made a covenant. God reaffirmed the covenant with Abram that guaranteed these promises that we've heard about today. We know about the subsequent dealings of God with the nation of Israel and his covenant with them, his covenant with David, the king. And ultimately, we know about the new covenant guaranteed by our king and our savior, the Lord Jesus. And we know that as the Apostle Paul put it, that all of us who are Gentile believers have been grafted in to God's covenant and God's plan way back here with Abram. There's a real sense in which this story that begins in Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3 of God calling Abram, it's our story too. We're just a long ways further down in the story and a lot further along in it. So these truths form the important stuff, the essential stuff, the big picture stuff, the why and the what of what it means to be God's people. These are the promises that we can stand on. But the details, the everyday stuff, the how we work that out, well, those are things we walk out as we go. And I'm sure all of us will will make some false starts. We'll have to adjust here and there and do things differently the next time around. We'll try some things that don't work. We'll take a wrong turn or two. But those are in the details. 
Having said that, I I do want you to hear my solemn promise, and I believe I can speak on the rest of our, our leadership team, that when any of these things happen, when we make mistakes, as human beings are prone to do, that we'll be quick to come back to the Lord, to seek His face, to seek His guidance, and go in the direction that He wants us to go. And I hope we can all commit to doing that together as God's people meeting in this place. Commit to seeking His face. As our mission statement says, seeking the triune God revealed in Scripture. Seeking what it is that He wants for us. What it is that He wants us to do in this place. And continuing to come back to that again and again. To return to that as we need to. As our grounding truth for why we even exist. Last weekend we talked about the mission of our church to be a community devoted to seeking the triune God revealed in Scripture and to making disciples nurtured for kingdom service. So I hope that that call can be a cornerstone as we find our way together into this new reality of being the church in Karenport. So let's seek His face and in seeking, let's obey and go in the direction that He wants us to go. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great story that you began thousands of years ago with Abram and the call that you placed on his life. And through many twists and turns that we hear about in your word, uh, this story is still our story. We've been grafted into it. Of course, we know a lot of things that Abram didn't know. We know uh, supremely about the redemption that is ours in the Lord Jesus. Um, And with that knowledge, with your word to guide us, with your Holy Spirit living within us, we pray that as we seek your face, as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. You will show us the way that we're to go and that we will simply walk in faithful obedience to the direction that you have for us. We commit ourselves, this new reality of the church in Karenport, into your hands. We commit to following you, and we know and trust that we will find you faithful as we seek you. We pray these things in the name of our King and our Savior Jesus. Amen.